Morning again. Yeah, that was funny. I was in that meeting. Peter was. Would you turn to First Corinthians chapter one? Be looking at verses twenty six through thirty one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, then there is a Bible under the seat in front of you, hopefully. You can pull that out, and that's page 1,311. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Lord, we do thank you in this, uh, in this current cert, uh, series as we look through your word and we find all those different areas in your word where you intervene, where you move in such a way that changes things for the good. And I pray that you would bless this time now as we look at your word, teach us and instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid in gym class, we would play the team sports, you know, basketball, field hockey, flag football, all of those things. And I don't know if they did this to you, but our teacher would assign two team captains. And they would pick one by one all the members that would be a part of those teams. Anybody remember that? It was a terrifying moment for kids. How quickly you discover your status before your peers. (laughs) Of course, the most popular are chosen. The most athletic. And you didn't want to be chosen last. If you're chosen last, you're the weakest link, right? Some Christians think that that's how God chooses his team. He looks for the brightest. He looks for the most resourceful. He looks for the strongest. I can assure you that is not the case, as we see in our text this morning. Take a look at this amazing but God moment here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Paul speaking to a local congregation of believers at a church in Corinth. And he says, for you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the wise. The things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. What an amazing verse. Man, the criteria that God uses for choosing team members. 
is in the exact opposite of the criteria that this world chooses. I want you to notice three words there in verse 26. These are the credentials that the world would highly value. Those that are wise according to the flesh. Those that have wisdom in the sight of man. This is the Greek word sophos. And in the classical Greek, this is used to speak of the renowned, respected philosophers and highly educated men. Think Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Think of the esteemed intellects throughout history. That's the word. The people with five degrees. The people with multiple doctorates. The esteemed, brilliant orators and authors and thinkers. The world places a big time value on people like that. I want someone like that on my team, the world would say. Notice also, not many mighty The mighty, according to the flesh. Those that are powerful in the sight of this world. This is the Greek word dunatos. And this speaks of great positions of authority and influence and power in society. So literally, think presidents, governors, kings. Think Top religious leaders. In the days of Jesus and in the early part of church history, uh, the top 70 Pharisees and Sadducees, and they got selected to be in the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of religious expertise. Dunitas, that's the word. This is a word that could also speak of the power and status and influence of Celebrities, star athletes, star entrepreneurs. The world says, yeah, we need people like that. Yeah, we could all use Elon Musk on our team, right? The wise, according to the flesh, the mighty. And then at the end of verse 26, it mentions the noble. This is the Greek word eugenos. Eu means good. Genos means family. Or in some contexts in scripture, a race. Literally, the well-born. The high-born. Those born into the royal bloodlines of queens and kings, the princes, the princesses, the dukes. Those that might be born into that wealthy family, those that may be born into that family with the great name, the Rockefellers, the Kennedys. The world values so greatly People like that. The the world's impressed with the intellects. Those in positions of power. 
those with that great family name. God is not. He's not impressed at all. Those types of things have no consideration in his mind when he chooses people. In fact, there's an interesting thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16. It says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things that Jesus was saying and they derided him. So now the Pharisees, you find out, they were very wealthy and they loved money. And they loved their religious positions of power and authority. In the Sanhedrin, you could see the family name, the the education, the wealth, and all of that. And they're insulting Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Words from Jesus, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Think of that. All these things that we esteem, all these things that we count as characteristics that make us valuable and worthy. What a different perspective that God has. So look at the words in verses 27 and 28 that define what God chooses. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Now, this is the Greek word moros. Guess what word we get from that? (laughs) Morons. God chooses all the morons to be on his team. No, that's too strong. I wouldn't say that way. Moros. In contrast to sophos. Meaning God doesn't choose all those brilliant elite people. He chooses the simple minded people. Those with maybe moderate education. Or a normal education. Perhaps even those without any education. Now that doesn't mean that. An education in college isn't important. I think it is. I think it's a big part of lives here in America, and and we should absolutely pursue it. But please understand, your gain of education does not promote you in the eyes of the Lord. Or to put it another way, your lack of education doesn't limit you in the eyes of the Lord. God chooses... Kind of like the normally educated people. Notice what else it says. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. This is the Greek word asthenis. Literally those without strength. This is a word that is oftentimes in the scripture used to speak of somebody who's sickly. Somebody who maybe has a handicap. Somebody who doesn't have a lot of physical strength. But God will use them. 
This is a word that also speaks of those who don't have any power. They don't have any influence. Speaking of all the people that are not kings or governors or star athletes or celebrities. All the normal, common, everyday Joes and Nancys. Living out their very normal lives on planet Earth. God delights to choose them. To choose those people. And use those people in wonderful ways. God has chosen, it says in verse 28, the base things. This is agenos. Not eugenos, agenos. Without family. The lowborn. So the no names. The nobodies. Paul even goes on to add in verse 28 that God has chosen those things which are despised. Now, this is a very intense word in the Greek language. It speaks of those who are ostracized in society. Those who are considered outcasts. The elites might call them those poor, wretched, uneducated peasants. The riffraff of society. God delights to use them. He chooses them. You know, in the early part of church history... If you were a Christian, no matter what you did, if you were a doctor or whatever, you were despised by the elites within the Roman Empire. In fact, somewhere about the year 178 AD, Celsus wrote one of the bitterest attacks upon Christianity that was ever written. He said of the Christians, we see them in their own houses, wool dressers, cobblers, and fullers, the most uneducated and vulgar persons. He said that Christians were like a swarm of bats or ants creeping out of their nests or frogs holding a symposium around a swamp or worms in convention in a corner of mud. And God picks those frogs. He chooses those worms says at the end of verse 28, God has chosen those things which are not. People without any reputation. People without any substance. People without any stock in this world, God chooses. Isn't that amazing? How different God is from the world. And you see this throughout Scripture. You see it in... in in the way God chooses people, I'm reminded of the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. God commands Samuel the prophet to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. Do you remember the story? And so he goes. He goes to the house of Jesse and says, can you show me your sons? And Jesse parades before Samuel seven sons. And they're all tall and handsome 
And they looked so impressive. And with each one getting more and more impressive. Samuel's like, oh, this must be the one. And the Lord says to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so seven sons pass by. No one's picked. Samuel says to Jesse, is that it? Is that all your sons? And he's like, well, oh yeah, there is the youngest. David, we, but we put him out in the fields with the sheep. We'll bring him. David comes along. The Lord says to Samuel, there's the man. Anoint him. You know, the, the second king of Israel was a man whose father didn't even think worthy to be a part of the selection process for a king. God chose him. Did amazing things with his life. How about Gideon? Remember Gideon? You meet him in Judges 6 through 8. When Gideon's around, the Midianites have taken over Israel. They're fighting against Israel. And Gideon, we find him threshing wheat in a wine press. Now you're supposed to thresh wheat way up high so you can throw it up in the wind. He's in a pit threshing wheat. Why? Because he's afraid of being spotted by the Midianites. An angel approaches Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You're so courageous. But God chose him. And later on, Gideon is called to lead an army of 32,000 against an army of 135,000. He's outnumbered four to one. God says to Gideon, you have too many men. Tell anybody who wants to go home, they can go home. 22,000 leave, he's left with 10,000. Now he's outnumbered 14 to one. Gideon, you still have too many men. They do that test at the brook, remember, who drinks, who doesn't. He's left with 300 men. Gideon, the scaredy cat, with 300 men, outnumbered 450 to 1. God chooses the underdog. God chooses the most unlikely. Think about the family that Jesus was born into. You know, if the Son of God were to leave heaven and become man and be born, you'd think he'd be born into the house of the the Rockefeller or the Kennedy with a silver spoon in his mouth. Best education. Is that where Jesus was born? Uh, he He was born into the family. A poor family, Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. Jesus grew up and lived. In Nazareth for most of his life. He was a part of the riffraff. Jesus chose the humble. Father chose the humble people. And then Jesus grows up. And he becomes a part of. This huge movement. This mass public ministry. He wants to change the world. And he chooses 12 guys. Were those guys brilliant? Did he go to the Sanhedrin? 
Did he choose the Pharisees? No, he, he chose uneducated fishermen from Galilee. Someone imagined Jesus hiring a professional management consulting firm in Jerusalem to evaluate the 12 guys he was thinking about hiring. And here's the response he gets. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken a series of tests, and we've not only run the results through our computer, but we've also conducted an in-depth interview with each of them by our staff psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It's the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking (laughs) in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept, and we highly recommend that you continue your search. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable (laughs) and is given to fits of temper. Andrew simply has no qualities of leadership whatsoever. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty and are quite boisterous. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale against the ranks. It's also our duty to inform you that the Better Business Bureau of Greater Jerusalem has received reports on Matthew regarding questionable business practices. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings and both demonstrate attitude problems which would present difficulty However, one of your candidates shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, responsible, and is not afraid to take the initiative. We recommend Judas Iscariot (laughs) as the most qualified of all your prospective candidates. How different the world chooses. How different God chooses from the world. And, you know, we've been going through a lot of church history on Wednesday nights, and you look through church history, and you see how God seems to go out of his way to pick the most unlikely people. I think of the history of our movement, Calvary Chapel. And you may have seen that movie, Jesus Revolution. Nobody got near hippies. Pastor Chuck let hippies in his church in their bare feet. And God used them. This is a principle that should excite Every one of us is followers of Jesus Christ. I'm a nobody but God. I'm a nobody. I don't have much to offer. But God can save me and use me to save all the members in my family. I'm a nobody. But God can save me and use me to spread his kingdom where I work. 
I'm a nobody. But God can use me in the ministry. You know, I I fear that there are a lot of Christians in the body of Christ who sort of hold back. And they're they're not involved in... It's because they kind of have this feeling like, what do I have to offer? Who am I? I don't have this great education. I don't have all these talents. I don't have this or that. I'm so common. That makes you qualified to be used in a mighty way. Yes, God can use you. Now, does this passage mean that God won't choose to use anyone in a position of power and wealth or with great education or of noble birth? Should we as Christians be suspicious of all those wealthy Christians? Does that mean God can't use people of, you know, more powerful places in this world? No, God can use them. In fact... God said not many in verse 26. He didn't say not any. Lady Selina Hastings was the Countess of Huntingdon in 18th century England. She was an evangelical believer among English nobility. And she would care for the poor and share the gospel with the poor. She has been dubbed the St. Teresa of the Methodists. And she is quoted as saying, concerning this verse, verse 26, I was saved by the letter M. Because God didn't say any. He said many. And one of the nobles in England was used by the Lord. And many nobles have been used and many wealthy people have been used paul the apostle was one of the most brilliantly educated people who who lived luke was a doctor who traveled with paul on his missionary journeys wrote two books that made it into the bible also a very sophisticated historian god can and will use people in position of prestige, but only, only when they keep the I'm a nobody attitude. Ray Steadman said, God can and will use people of status and stature, but only, remarkably enough, when they have learned that their usefulness does not derive from their position or their abilities but rather from his presence in their lives. So it really doesn't come down to who does what, who's where, who's in this position of society. What it really comes down to is humility. And that every single one of us as Christians, no matter where we work or what we do, we keep that. I'm a nobody. But God. I'm a big fat nothing. But God is everything. 
and live for him. To bring glory for him. Why does God choose this way? Well, look what it says, verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Why does God work this way? To bring glory to himself exclusively. He works in such a way that man doesn't get glory. In fact, those those words that we, we talked about, they're antonyms. God chooses the moros to bring shame to the sofas. God chooses the weak to bring shame to the strong. God chooses the lowborn to bring shame to the highborn. That's intentional. God will always work to dismantle the glory of man. To diminish it. And you say, well, why does he do that? Is he threatened by man? Is God jealous? Like, I don't want to share my glory with any. No, listen. God does that to protect man from the danger of glorifying man. Because whenever you glorify man, you're in trouble. Because man will always disappoint. Even the people in your life that you respect the most, They're much weaker than God. So God doesn't want us depending upon anything other than himself. God doesn't want us to depend upon anyone other than himself. So he always dismantles this might and value of man that mankind will look up and see their need for him. And we should never put our hope in man. If you do, you'll be disappointed. Always put your hope in God. You know, I have a lot of uh, heroes in my life. There are a lot of guys that I look up to. And, and great men of God. That God is used in amazing ways. And I look up to them still to this day. But I should never worship them. They're vessels. Don't ever worship the vessel of God. Worship the God of the vessel. Don't worship the tool in the carpenter shop. Worship the carpenter who uses the tool. In the carpenter shop. Amen. And notice that we should be giving all the attention in our life to Jesus. Verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became for us wisdom from God. The righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As God uses you, you don't want attention. You want all the attention to go to Jesus. He is wisdom. He is your redemption. 
I'm a nobody. Jesus is the somebody whom everybody needs. Right? My brother and sister in Christ, God delights to use you. And he wants to use you. And please know that. And when he does, give him all the glory. And put everybody to Jesus. There's a wonderful verse in the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. That's what you want to glory in. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I'm mindful of of two ways that we can get off balance in our walks with you. In one sense, we can be so humble and so utterly convinced of our lack of resources. We think that we can't be used by you and we we sit back. We let others do the work because we feel like we don't have what we need to do it effectively. Lord, forgive us for that. We know you want to use us. And I pray that we'd step out in faith and let you use us. And then, Lord, on on the other hand, some of us can become prideful and arrogant and begin to think it's because of who we are and what we do and what we know. Oh, Lord, forgive us. We desperately need you, Lord. And it's only because of you that we can serve you effectively. And we trust you. And we humble ourselves before you. And we seek to give you glory as we serve you. Change our hearts. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, please also know this morning that salvation is open to all. It's open to everyone. The richest on planet earth to the poorest.
Please know that salvation is needed by all on planet Earth, from the richest to the poorest, from the big names to the no names. The Bible says that God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Have you become a child in the family of God. The Lord cares about each life. Maybe you thought he doesn't care about yours. He does. He sent his son to die for you. Or maybe you've had this inflated opinion about yourself. I don't need God. I'm I'm in charge of my life. You're not. You need God. The invitation goes out to all. Whosoever. If you haven't received Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, to humble yourself. Say, Lord Jesus, I humble myself before you and I admit I need you. I am nothing without you. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for dying for me and rising again. Be my Lord and Savior. Help me to follow you all my days. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.